Hi, welcome to another episode of Power of the Mind, where we give you simple tools to improve your relationship with yourself and with others. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder, which are different things. Stay tuned. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Cast 11. I'm Alicia Morgeau, and we've got Greg Struve here with Power of the Mind with Granite Mountain Behavioral Healthcare. How's it going, Greg? It's going great. Awesome. Feeling yeah, good? Feeling good. Feeling like talking about narcissism. Any any day you talk about narcissism is a good day. It's all about me, right? It's all about me. It's all about me. Nobody else matters. But honestly, like, what is narcissism? Like, what well, is that? Well, there's a lot of different elements of narcissism to talk about. What narcissism is not is uh, somebody who makes me mad and happens to be my ex. And that's what it seems like a lot of the time on social media. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I read a lot of posts by folks who are about um, who are talking about their ex-partner as a narcissist. And I think it's important to note that uh, there's a strong difference between a diagnosable narcissist and someone who's just narcissistic. Most of us are pretty narcissistic. Actually, frankly, a lot of us are pretty narcissistic at the end of the day in general, but particularly if we're in pain, people um, often behave in a way that's narcissistic. So it's important to understand some of the differences. One of the principal differences between a narcissist and a regular, quote unquote, well, I guess perhaps a non-narcissistic person would be the ability to have what's called theory of mind. So theory of mind is the ability to put myself in your shoes. Okay. So if you're not feeling well, for example, <laughs> I can think, well, I know what that's like. And I can have an understanding that perhaps you won't be functioning at your top capacity. And I can perhaps adjust myself to that. Um, because I can think, well, I know what that's like, and I can put myself into your shoes. If I have a narcissistic personality disorder, diagnosable narcissism, I really can't do that. Really? Really. No, but I don't see, um, I don't see you functioning outside of me. And that's actually a concept that's very challenging to understand. To understand it best, I think we can go back to the, the etiology of narcissism, which generally speaking is in the toddler range of things. So someone who's narcissistic almost always has some pretty severe disruptions in the pre-verbal time in their life. And that can be the presence of a narcissistic parent or parents. That can be the presence of some abuse. That can be the presence of addiction. There are a lot of different things that will combine to cause some pretty strong challenges or that may combine to cause some pretty strong challenges in the pre-verbal time of life. And the long and short of it is the idea that mm, the world shouldn't be the way I think it is, and even that the world isn't the way I think it is, doesn't ever quite completely form. There's, there's the fantasy life that you have as a child, mm -hmm. even up to seven or eight or nine sometimes. You can get so involved in your fantasies that they're, they feel real. And for someone who has narcissistic personality disorder, generally speaking, they live in that in reality. Now, sometimes that can be really helpful. I can think of some clients I've worked with who have been um, in positions of leadership in very high-pressure, sort of large-scale situations. And I think it's difficult. It's, it's very easy to look at folks like that and say that they should be nice and kind and helpful and all sorts of things. But 
most of us don't really understand what it's like to live with that kind of pressure. Right. You know, run a, <clears throat> a, a billion dollar company sometime with 5,000 employees. That's just an experience that very few people are equipped to handle. And you have to make, you know, a thousand decisions a day, 10,000 decisions a day. Mm -hmm. And if you get them wrong, you get fired and the place folds up. And that's a level of pressure that the rest of us don't necessarily deal with. So I have seen some times where it's actually pretty helpful for the circumstances for the person to be a bit narcissistic. That um, doesn't make them very much fun to be around on an interpersonal level. They can be very effective in the world and really struggle interpersonally. So I don't know. That's what. So what are some signs of a narcissist? Well, there are... Um, the, the biggest sign of the narcissist, there's, there's different kinds, right? There's the overt and the covert narcissist. And you can read about this on Instagram. And there's actually some really good material on Instagram. So I was, I was kind of being, talking with some frustration about it earlier because I think it is an overblown diagnosis. I think people use it to confront, you know, selfish behavior when it's not actually narcissistic personality disorder per se. That said, uh, there's some good material on YouTube that talks about the difference between overt and covert narcissism. Um, somebody who's overtly narcissistic often will have a big personality. They'll be very char charismatic at times. They can be quite manipulative and they will, um, they'll come after you pretty hard if you cross them, right? The the most challenging piece is that as a general rule, they're willing to go farther, faster, and harder than you are. If you have a conscience and somebody you're, you're arguing with doesn't really have that impediment, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> they can be pretty difficult to deal with. And it can be a bit of a challenge to get into an argument there because they're willing to go further than you are. The overt narcissist is, um, I wouldn't say easy to spot, they, they still can be very uh, deceptive about things, but they're not necessarily particularly friendly. Uh, they can be friendly. They can turn on the charm sometimes, but their motives are pretty clear. They tend to be very goal-oriented and, and focused on success, whatever success looks like for them and, and for them, right? <laughs> not particularly. Right. You are either a tool to help them attain whatever they want to attain or you're in the way pretty simple so if they can't use you goodbye wow yeah that's all and and they don't there's not a sense that what i've done is wrong because it's impossible for me to understand that i've actually hurt your feelings because i can't really put myself in your mm -hmm. shoes um, they do tend to have a deep shame about them that you will hear the, the, the narcissistic wound is what it's called and if you talk to them long enough, they'll tell you that they don't think much of themselves underneath things. Hmm. In, in my office anyway, when I see narcissist, narcissists, they, they typically can get to that space, but they can't go there for very long. And it doesn't necessarily translate into behavior change. Um, so I can think of a, a client who had a, um, probably a diagnosable female narcissist, which is pretty rare. They tend to be more on the borderline personality side of things. And she leaned in that direction too. She had a couple sons and um, 
the sons really struggled to individuate, kind of come out from under the shell of mom, not, not under the shell, under the wing, come out from under the wing of mom. And the reason they do that is because the kids really understand, like, if I, there's a, there's a certain direction I can go, and if I follow that direction all the way through, I'm done. And I can remember having several experiences when I worked at a very fancy rehab where I would do family therapy and the kids would say more or less, Greg, if I, if I tell my dad the truth about what he or she or my dad or my mom, if I tell them the truth about what happened, I think they might not ever talk to me again. And one thing that became apparent to me really early was like, in some cases, that was true. Mm -hmm. The kids' understanding of the limits of the parent to deal with confrontation was pretty accurate. It was going to irrevocably or unchangeably change and shift that relationship. And your heart goes out to a kid in that situation, particularly in addiction recovery. So much of early recovery is about learning to tell the truth, at least to yourself, mm -hmm. if not to other people, but at least to yourself to acknowledge, oh, this thing that happened to me was awful and it really hurt like hell. This part of my relationship with my parents was messed up. Right. That's a really helpful thing to to acknowledge and to realize early in the process of addiction recovery. And for folks in a relationship with a narcissistic parent, to really come to grips with, because it's usually been pretty rough, to come to grips with how rough it's been, and then to decide what to do about that is really, really difficult because that that relationship usually has a certain stability to it and that stability if you interrupt it everything comes crashing down so can a narcissist have a functioning relationship though is it something nah, no not really i mean they can appear to and i shouldn't say no um if they have a certain if they want to badly enough they can and sometimes they will and sometimes they do i have a good friend who's in a relationship that seems to be working relatively well with a person who I think is probably narcissistic, and my friend is in agreement there. And they've done couples counseling. They did it with, with some, uh, some pretty fancy uh, therapists who are very well-educated and well-trained. Mm -hmm. And the person, who, you know, they both were very open to the work that they were doing. Um, so can it be done? Yes, I do believe that if a partner, in certain circumstances, it can probably be done. In certain circumstances, it's exceedingly difficult to have an authentic relationship. Because again, um, coming against the person's belief system will result in a level of rage and anger and response that is very challenging to deal with. You know, mm -hmm. boundaries, confrontation, these things are not handled well. So, so narcissists, they're very controlling. They tend to be very, very controlling, yes. They have to, con again, I, I really have to, if I'm a narcissist, I have to control you because I can't let you tell me the truth and I can't let you leave and I can't let you make me look bad. That's the real core of it, right? right. Is you're an extension of me, so don't make me look bad. You make me look bad, we're going to have some real trouble. So do you see, I know I've read like CEOs and, you know, high powered positions and you brought that up too. Is that same with like maybe um, 
like actors, people in that field, like what type of positions do you see them taking and, and do they create that life of, you know, basically the, the token wife or the. Sure. Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I think it can go, I think you can look at the requirements of being the CEO, for example, of a large corporation. I was talking to somebody who had been involved in the union negotiations for one of the big uh, utilities down in Phoenix in the Valley. And he said, the CEO came in and said, first of all, let me just be clear. I do not give a crap about anybody about, about, don't give me any of this crap about people's families and what they need. Okay. We're talking about numbers here. All I see are numbers. Okay. First, I think he was being sincere based Mm -hmm. on, based on the conversation. Second, um, that is a negotiation approach. And, uh, you take you take a lot of power off the table in the negotiation, right? Um, so if if really all you're looking for is outcome, if all you're looking for is the financial outcome, having somebody like that, they can they can go pretty far. They can do really well because they're willing to say things and do things and make decisions that other people maybe are not as willing to do. Okay, they'll look at the bottom line all the time. Um, which is great if you're running a billion dollar company with right. well and there's again there's pressures attached to doing that that the, the rest of us uh mercifully had a professor one mm-hmm. time who had retired and he had been the ceo of a company that had been involved in the supply chain for detroit so and i can't remember what exactly they manufactured but it went into i think I think all the cars, basically, and, and, and all the cars in Detroit, no matter whether, whether it was General Motors or Ford or, or whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, yeah, I retired at, I don't know, I think he retired in his 50s. And he was a very, you know, multi, 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 multi-millionaire, and he became a professor because he wanted to do something else with his life. He, was, uh, he taught us organizational behavior in college. And he said, I traveled 30, um, 30 days a month. Generally. And I said, well, that's all of them. And he said, yes, that's true. Yes. I was generally in China or overseas looking at the process of the parts, you know, 25 to 30 days a month I would travel. But most months it was 30. Wow. You know? And no, it wasn't awesome on my family life. And no, it wasn't. So again, there's a certain level of dedication to that process. Um, You really have to believe that your family doesn't need you to be able to do that effectively, I would think. You know, you'd have to, there's, there's just a different mindset that I think most folks can't handle. Now, is it, is it fair to say every CEO is a narcissist? Probably not. Can it be done without that element of things? Uh, one would certainly hope so. I think there's a lot of shifting and changing, particularly in like Silicon Valley around this thing. Um, although sometimes I, I'm concerned that it's a lot more covert narcissism. Mm-hmm. Right, and so the covert narcissist is somebody who is really good at looking good and really good at, at appearing friendly a lot of the time, and they tend to be very controlling, but in subtle ways. The challenge with the covert narcissist is you'll you'll want to end the relationship, and all your friends will be like, "What is wrong with you? What are you talking about? This guy loves you. This gal thinks you're the best thing ever." Right, and they'll be absolutely confused, and that's a really interesting thing to work on in a couple's situation where somebody will come in and they'll say, you know, he says he wants to change, but he really doesn't. And they'll work with them and discover like, oh, they're, 
they're correct. <laughs> they won't. That's, a, that's yeah. 100% correct. This person, not only does do they not want to change, they're not, they're not cognitively able to understand their part. They literally don't see it. It's really interesting. But they've painted that picture of the perfect life, the perfect, just yeah. don't make me look bad, right? Which is don't, what you said. That's just, it. Everything's awesome. Do not make me look bad. The yard is manicured. The house looks perfect. I'm a successful, successful business person. I go to church. I, if that's what's, you know, or I, or I don't, if that's the culture that they're mm -hmm. in, whatever, you know, I'm, whatever the culture says is awesome to do. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look good. Wow. All right. And sometimes I've also, I can think of an overt narcissistic client who was um, involved in organized crime. And I don't think he was in the mob because when people are in the mob, they don't tell you they're in the mob. <laughs> uh, but he was involved, you know, he, he had kind of his own extortion kind of racket going. And he was just really open about loving power and control. Yeah. You know, and we, and he was pretty smart. He said, when I was a kid, people beat me up all the time and I didn't have anything, any power, no control. Now I got a lot. Now people are scared of me, you know? Right. I walk into the, there's a line at the restaurant to get my food. I just walk to the front and they look at me and they give me the food. And I leave. And I like it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, it's a different approach, right? So it depends on the, the expectations, the culture that I'm Im imbued in, kind of how this thing manifests. It can change a little bit from person to person. So are you born a narcissist or do you become a narcissist or? Well, I again, it's, it's sort of hard to say because my own training <clears throat> is in the nurture, right? Nature mm -hmm. and nurture is always the question. Right. You bring in a geneticist and have them study. Now, again, the interesting thing about a geneticist is they're only going to study the correlation between the genetics and the diagnosis. And particularly with covert narcissism, it, it's not always easy to diagnose. The partner often will feel a little crazy for the first several years. Right. Yeah, you know, before they one day they look and they... Um, and it's harder than hell to get out of to begin with, too. Because, again, especially with the covert narcissist, your friends and family think they're great. Right, because they painted that picture. Oh, yeah. Everybody thinks that, that, and you start to rebel a little bit, and they think, what the hell's wrong with you? You're the problem. Yeah, totally. So so that part is, um, this is challenging. Mm -hmm. It's challenging. But I can't remember where we were going. I lost track of our I forgot conversation. To. Oh, so. born, are you born oh, a narcissist? Or? So my inclination is to say that it has to do with nurture, that it has to do with real challenging situations taking place pre-verbally and preventing the development of something. Decent chance there's a genetic component to it, too. I always leave that open to uh, people who are more educated in that area than I am. So is it always bad to be a narcissist? I don't know if it's always bad to be anything. Mm -hmm. uh, I, it's, not, it's not a lot of fun. It's a pretty unpleasant, it's very lonely. When you get into... Yeah, deep when they come into treatment, which is exceedingly rare. Mm -hmm. Well, because then you have to admit something's wrong, right? When they come into treatment, which is exceedingly rare, they are uh, oftentimes they'll have sort of a an archetypical midlife crisis, and sometimes they have it a little later because because what'll happen is they'll be charismatic and fun to be around and entertaining, and they'll be very very successful. And now they're rich and lonely, whereas before they, and 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 at some point somebody says to themselves, uh, "Why is another 
million dollars going to make me, if the first 20 million didn't make me feel good, mm-hmm. I don't think the next 20 million are going to make me feel any different. What do I do? And that's, that's been the times that I've seen folks come in to do counseling with me about their, their stuff when, when it comes to narcissism. And it's slow going, but it can be, it can be addressed if someone is motivated enough <clears throat> to do so. So they can change their ways, maybe. If they're really interested, but it takes, um, generally, generally I've found that it happens in the context of relationship and they have to be pretty open to their part in the relationship. And that's terrifying. Right. But yeah, is it bad? It's certainly not much fun. It's very unpleasant to be a narcissist, and it's pretty unpleasant to be around one. The narcissistic personality, <clears throat> when they finally slow down, when they pause for a minute from the frantic, achievement-oriented direction of their lives, they realize they're very, very lonely. Okay, so I started dating a guy. Oh, Everything looks great. Yes, but I'm noticing some some red flags. And well, one's I, that you're married, so that's that's yeah, going to be yeah, a that's going to be a huge red flag. <clears throat> but in the scope of if you're dating somebody and, and yeah. you see some things, or you're you're concerned that this person may have narcissistic behaviors, what are some things or that traits. I'm seeing? Yeah, what are some traits? Wow. Well, you know, we can look up the the traits on the the DSM. Actually, maybe we could have Google over here. Put it up on the computer monitor if you have a moment. Cool. And we'll just go down the the traits as they're listed and kind of expound on that. I saw one when I was kind of researching. One is that. Um, Sorry to the sound editor. He's going to have to take out all my throat clearing it's and the, sniffling. It's the air. I don't even yeah. know. But so I noticed one was like the controlling behavior. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, the whole push you to a point to where. You're acting crazy, and then they're calling you out on that whole crazy behavior, even though it was something that they've pushed you to do. They call that gaslighting in uh, in modern culture. Which is a new word to like I hear oh, it all so the time, trendy. and I'm like, yes, what, is, so what is gaslighting? Am I being gaslit? Yeah. So People basically convincing you you're the problem when in reality they're in control. And again, I feel like it's it can be a little bit overdone at times in terms of social media, but... I guess I'm, I don't know. And I certainly wouldn't presume to get on uh, Instagram and say, well, this person really mm-hmm. was narcissistic and this one wasn't. I did have an interesting situation where I was on social media the other day for a moment and I, I saw some people who I've known as acquaintances for many years getting a divorce. And one who I'm pretty confident is a narcissist and he, he was on there talking about his ex-spouse as the narcissist, which I thought was sort of funny because <laughs> um, it's not. It's not me. It's you. Yeah, no. And I, I th- There's uh, a part of me that wanted to reach out and say, hmm, hmm but I, I obviously you, I buddy. didn't. Yeah. So gaslighting, which is basically convincing you that you're the problem, right? Or yeah, that's, that's a pretty common experience. And again, particularly with the ones who are really high functioning verbally. Mm-hmm. They can do that and do it pretty well. Uh, a sense of grandiosity is one of the characteristics there. And uh, a sense of being sort of above the law or more important or more valuable than other people. That's a really common characteristic. So is narcissism pretty, um, like for those, like you talked about your friend that was kind of possibly in the mob, but maybe not really. Are they more drawn to that, you know, criminal lifestyle or... 
Well, they're drawn, they're drawn to things that make them a big deal, right? The and power so, of And they are willing to sacrifice things. You know, you asked earlier, is it, is it okay sometimes to be a narcissist? Well, what does it take to have the, we'll call it courage for now, the courage to put your house on the line to start a new business? Hmm. How about unlimited, even somewhat unjustifiable faith in your own capacity to achieve something? right? How about just super assurance and confidence that what you think is going to happen is going to happen? So you're going to take yeah. risks in that state of grandiosity that other people just aren't going to take. Mm -mm. And by the way, yeah, maybe I'm endangering our retirement, but my wife's going to come right along with me because my wife's an extension to me anyway. Right. And Not our own person. Yeah, just exactly. An appendage. And my kids, yeah, I might endanger their college fund, you know, mm -hmm. we'll roll the dice. Well, certain percentage of the time. And, and then the other thing is, if you get into metaphysics and some of these ideas about, you know, manifesting and kind of bringing into your life what you hold in mind, it seems like some of those guys are able to do some pretty remarkable things. They really are. But that's because they'll take some remarkable risks mm -hmm. with tremendous confidence. And lo and behold, <laughs> not uncommonly, some I mean, it does happen sometimes. Well, what about manifesting? All right. Yeah. I had another friend. I'll, I'll tell another story. Um, I had another friend, and he, um, this is a friend of a friend, and he was convinced that he could go out and find a band that would chart, right? And he didn't have, go do that. didn't have a bunch of experience in the thing, but he knew good music, and he ran around in a city known for its good music, you know what he did? He found a band. And I won't tell you which one because it would be inappropriate to do so, but it's a band you know. And he found him. He managed him. He brought him to a level of sort of fame. And then they fired him, <laughs> unfortunately, which is a different discussion for uh, another day. But the thing is, is like, like this is now, I don't necessarily think, actually, I'm confident this particular individual isn't a narcissist, but he certainly was willing to take some mm -hmm. risks, right? But we've talked about that in some of our broadcasts of manifesting and, and thinking sure. and power of positivity and, power and thinking mind, it and, yeah. and you're going to make it happen. But yeah, I mean, this so. is a guy, I mean, normal dude. And he just decided, you know what, I'm going to do it. And he did it. And then it didn't work out. Unfortunately, it was sort of tragic. But the the part about like just sort of the follow your dream sort of thing, mm -hmm. like that can be a thing. And so that is one of the advantages, I would say, if you had to pick an advantage of having some narcissistic stuff, is you just it's say, no limitations, I'll, take some, right? I'll take some risks that other people really won't take. I'll go further. And if you want to understand, you know, why are there, why, for example, is there such a, a larger percentage of narcissistic personality disorder in the CEO population or in the professional athlete population mm -hmm. or in professional actors or something like that? Well, the reality is these folks believe in themselves, perhaps an unrealistic amount, they'll set aside everything else. Like they don't have a problem. If a relationship gets between me and my acting job, goodbye. Yep. If a child happens to me, happens to be inconvenient as it comes to my new business, bye. Right. So yeah. Well, and how many people are willing to sleep in a car while they're waiting for their right. next audition and stuff? I'm not yeah. doing that. But oh, hell no, I'm not I, doing that. But I'm, if you believe in yourself so much that this is just, just what you have to do. Yeah. 
sometimes I'll talk to folks who've had this experience and they'll say, you know, Greg, I'm not successful because I want to be. I'm successful because I have to be, you know? So yeah, excessive need for admiration is the next characteristic out of the DSM with regard to the narcissism piece, right? And this is where that narcissistic shame comes in. In reality, why do I need everybody's admiration? I need their admiration because I actually feel pretty awful. I feel really, really awful about myself. And so you have to like me all the time, no matter what. So you, if you're a spouse or a girlfriend or, you know, you have to continually just pump them up, just continually, just, you're the man. Well, their response to disapproval is going to be significant. So that partner would learn to adjust and know what makes them happy and keeps them happy as opposed to ever shining a light on their flaws. Yeah, particularly if you get a partner and it's pretty easy to do this without a lot of trauma. But if you get some trauma and you get a partner who's a bit insecure and who requires, who just who just craves that attachment really strongly, like that's a nice combination with a narcissist. Not a nice, that is a sticky combination with a narcissist, right? Okay, I can, I, I need you to be here. You're willing to pull away if I show up authentically and I am really willing to adjust myself because I just need you to be here. And that's where somebody can get locked into that. So, yeah. Uh, superficial and exploitive relationships, kind of like we talked about earlier. Um, if you get in the way of my goal, you're gone. See you later. But when you think if I'm a CEO or a popular actor or somebody with, you know, underlying narcissistic behaviors, it makes sense for me to have the cookie cutter life, the wife, the whatever. So well, those sure. superficial relationships or what makes it me look good to Yeah, to it people. depends. It depends, right? And certain to politicians are another good example of where there's a uh, really yes. high prevalence of narcissism in the political life, right? And so there's the image of the politician and there's the authentic politician. And the authentic politician is often you know, can be very dark. <laughs> and in that situation, or when I look at large, large religious groups, large scale mm -hmm. religious groups, um, people who've done really well and are charismatic and are driven, driven to build the biggest organization that they can. Again, underneath that often is this deep need for admiration, mm -hmm. driven by deep shame. And yeah, they'll put together a cookie cutter life. It's just a lie. And it'll, it'll show up. Uh, it'll often come out to get them. So that's the challenge that people have sometimes. Well, and some people will adapt to that lifestyle because they want the lifestyle that's attached to this very prominent, you can do successful that. business person. Like, or, You know, if you decide that money is really important to you and you are willing to do what it takes to be attractive to somebody who has a lot of money, that's one route to it. Right? I've worked, I worked with a gal one time who had, uh, she came to see me because she felt awful. She was in a relationship and I was seeing the couple. And the challenge she had is that she had engaged in prostitution in L.A. for the better part of her young adulthood and was trying to figure out how to talk to her partner about that, right? And what she said, you know, in the beginning, she, she realized that if she did what was necessary to be, you know, to meet the L.A. standards of beauty, which is no small feat, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. And that's another example too. Like, like most people are not willing to work that hard. I sort of, good Lord, a couple hours a day in the gym and all the makeup and all the 
self-hate and never eating and all these different things. God bless her. I just felt like, oh. And she said she, you know, she grew up in a situation where she was relatively impoverished. And she said, all of a sudden, I had anything I wanted. Right. And I could have stayed. And she ended up in what was what amounted to a harem of a particularly prominent individual. Wow. And she said, as long as I <clears throat> performed, or Hugh Hefner had that. You know, if you were a, you could live in the Playboy Mansion, and he'd have a schedule for you every Monday and Thursday at 9 o'clock. Come hang out. And the rest of the time, you're free to go, and you have plenty of resources at your disposal. So hmm. it's always... Um, you know, so again, there's no, there's not always a shortage of people who are willing to play the game as far as the cookie cutter life goes. And it does go both ways gender wise, but it, there is a, a higher prominence of narcissism in men than women percentages wise. It's not uncommon for the narcissist to pick a, a partner with a thing called borderline personality disorder. And the borderline personality and the narcissist fit very well, in part because their trauma happens at about the same age, I think. I think that's part of why they fit together. But it is a, a real common combination. Volatile, too. Lack of empathy, that's what we were talking about earlier, not willing to put myself in someone, not, not able to see myself in someone else's shoes. Um, identity disturbance. If you want to break identity disturbance down, essentially what it comes down to is who I am is the summation of what people think of me, what I think people think of me, to be more accurate. So instead of just being like, I don't care what people think, it's so important to them what people think. It can be. Um, there are some who can actually just not care what people think. And just and that's the overt narcissist often is that way. The covert narcissist more often, not always, but more often really wants approval from people at some level. Um, someone who completely doesn't care what people think, at that point, you're really moving into sort of more of the sociopathic kind of range, which is sort of the far extreme of narcissism. It can be thought of that way. But yeah, the identity disturbance can be part of that. Mm, throwing my, my identity becomes what I do. And that happens to a lot of us. You know, one of the fun parts about sitting down with the DSM and reading the characteristics if you do this in graduate school as a therapist, as you'll read it, you'll be like, oh my gosh, I totally <laughs> I'm a have, I have dependent personality disorder. It's pretty clear to me now. I didn't realize it before. And every time you read one and get into it in depth, you'll start to decide that you're, you have yeah. this or that. Uh, all, it's like going on uh, WebMD. Yeah, <laughs> WebMD, totally, <laughs> totally. So, uh, but, but with a narcissist, the identity disturbance is really, really strong. And the the lack of identity outside of what I'm accomplishing, what I'm doing. Um, again, this the example of the, the guy who was involved in organized crime, not really excited about what people thought of him, right? So it's not accurate to say that mm, he's the sum true. of what people think of him. In his case, uh, well, actually, no, that's actually not true now that I think about it out loud. People fear him and respect him. They give him power. And in that regard, he's doing fine. If he has to decide between the power and the reverence that he gets versus a relationship, it's pretty unlikely he's going to mm -hmm. choose the relationship, right? And he'll probably employ some strong power plays toward that relationship, and that can make folks with narcissistic personality disorder pretty dangerous. If you make somebody look bad, they'll do things to you that you make somebody with this kind of personality disorder look bad, or if you get in the way 
of their sense of power, authority, and control, they can behave in ways that are very, very unpleasant and sometimes very dangerous. Um, envy of others or belief that others are envious of him or her, again, they'll, they're, they tend to look up the ladder, you know, and they are, if you ever watched the movie House of Cards, not the movie, the TV show oh. House of Cards, in the first season, Kevin Spacey's character betrays another politician and uh, does so with just, I mean, this guy, that guy probably moves into the sociopath range pretty, pretty easily, truth be told. But it's just a great example of um, envy and power for its own sake, right? And the belief that others envy them is sometimes true and sometimes not true. There's also a certain joy in it. Sense of entitlement is the other characteristic. And again, that's, that's just really part of the deal. You owe this to me. You owe me my job. I, I deserve this. I, I should have it that way. I should be rich. I should be powerful. I should be strong. I should be revered. So. So long story short, if you're dating someone like this, Run away. Run away. <laughs> because it doesn't sound like a relationship or even fixing the problem is even possible. So, again, it's really easy to say run away. It's really hard to do. It's also mm -hmm. really challenging to diagnose this effectively when you're in it. Um, it can be very helpful to get somebody else's feedback or perspective who's not engaged in it. Um, if you're working with a clinician, you have to hopefully you have a clinician who who is aware of their, what they call counter-transference, where they see their own stuff in you, because a lot of clinicians, in my experience, um, a really interesting, it's really interesting to me that a, a large proportion of clinicians have been in relationships with people who are narcissistic. I'm not sure why that is, but I see it a lot when I talk to clinicians. Um, but anyway, yes, having someone in your environment who can give you some straightforward feedback and help you decide what you're dealing with one of my favorite movies when my kids were little was Frozen. And I liked Frozen. I didn't like everything about Frozen, but I, I liked that it was at least a fresh take on the Disney premise of fall in love, get married, go do your thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I love at first sight. And they say, uh, there's a song in there called Fixer Upper. And in Fixer Upper, it says something to the effect of, we're not saying you can change them because people don't really change. But one thing we do know is that love's a thing that's powerful and strange. And I thought that was just really funny and what a great thing to teach kids. <laughs> the reality is people don't really change, right? So that's the thing is um, if you're in a relationship with somebody like this, either it's been pretty obvious the entire time or it becomes obvious over time. And it becomes obvious they're going to win the fights because they're willing to do what it takes to win the fight. Okay. If it has to get physical, they'll get physical, and they'll always take it one step further every time, every time. And so, yeah, run. probably run. Run. I right. just I can't, just based on this little bit, it just how how can you make this work? And, and especially it's very, very that type of behavior, wanting to get help or wanting to change doesn't sound like that's something that. There are, there is a, in the, in the therapeutic world, we talk about traits with personality disorders a lot of the time. 
So somebody might have a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, or we might say, well, they have a lot of borderline traits. Mm -hmm. And so you really want to look at like, are we talking about full-blown narcissism or are we talking about traits? There really are probably quite a few people, particularly in the younger generation now when we've grown up with so much. And I probably put myself into that younger generation too. We've grown up with such opulence mm -hmm. and such abundance as a culture um, that we, I think, are becoming much more self-absorbed and narcissistic. And I do think that's one of the downsides of social media. That's mm -hmm. actually documented, if I'm not mistaken, a, a lot of studies indicating that the level of overall sort of narcissistic traits is on the rise. But being selfish and having traits is different than lacking theory of mind. Right. When I lack theory of mind, when I genuinely can't put myself into someone else's shoes, if I see them as an extension of me, that's probably not going away. The other stuff yeah, it might mellow with age a little bit. But yeah. That is actually oh, one characteristic I wanted to mention in narcissism yeah. before we wrap up, is it does tend to mellow with age, right? So sometimes mm -hmm. somebody will be pretty narcissistic and pretty, well, do the things that narcissists do. And then, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years old, start to settle down a little bit, kind of act like a more. All right. So hang in there. Yeah. Hang in there. Hang in there. It's going to get better. Post-retirement. <laughs> Post-retirement. No. It's just an interesting uh, characteristic. People say, well, I think my dad was a narcissist, but now he doesn't do that stuff anymore. Such a nice guy now. He's turned out to be kind of a sweet old guy. So, well, yeah, not that uncommon. Interesting. Well, thank you so much on this one. Cause oh, I know fun. it's like, we were trying to research topics and this one popped up and everybody, you know, knows somebody or they think they know. And it's, you know, everybody that's a problem is a narcissist or a sociopath, which I want to get in with oh, you sociopath. some other time. I, I don't have that much information on sociopaths. I just assumed they, don't they come were to synonymous. Very often. <laughs> I thought it was, I just thought it was the same thing. And as yeah. I was reading, I was like, oh no, totally a little bit different, but yeah. well, thank you so much. And yeah, um, thanks for coming uh, in today. You know, Greg, you're, you know, the glass is half full. Maybe we can help you. I say run, but you know, it's, I say run. But All right. thank you guys so much for tuning in to Power of the Mind with Granite Mountain Behavioral Healthcare. Definitely enjoy having you every week. And yeah. um, if you guys are in need of some help or just want to have somebody to talk with, or I mean, you guys range from we do all everything. Kinds of, all kinds of stuff, yeah. How they get a hold of you. GraniteMountainBHC.com. There's a, a phone number right there and they can pick it up and Awesome. Give us a call. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Bye. If you have a question or something you'd like us to discuss here on Power of the Mind, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is stories, S-T-O-R-I-E-S, at signalsaz.com. That's stories, S-T-O-R-I-E-S, at signals, S-I-G-N-A-L-S, A-Z.com. Look forward to hearing from you.